Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. In every episode, we will feature some incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender or if you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com. Today, we are departing from our regular format to bring in a special guest who once was a bartender briefly for a day in college, but also is extremely knowledgeable and interesting when it comes to our main topic, which is politics. And that's our good friend, Tim Miller, occasional co-host of The Circus on Showtime, a fantastic writer and podcaster that can be found at The Bulwark. Miller and Kochel even recently appeared together on The Circus from Iowa, talking about the 2024 Iowa caucuses. Tim has also written a New York Times bestseller, Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican road to hell. A lot of history here, Rob. Let's uh, get right to it. The one and only Tim Miller. Thank you for being with us and welcome to Highball Politics. You are the first exception to our bartender rule, but we could think of no better exception than having you on to talk a little culture and politics. Welcome aboard. Well, I do like to drink, so that's a good first <laughs> exception to the bartender rule. And I did, ha- I did bartend a single time. I had a friend from high school out of the blue. You know, there's a lot of evil about social media and a lot of problems, but there is some nice. And I had somebody that I hadn't seen in like 20 years mess, you know, see me on daytime t- cable or something and message me. And he's like, do you remember that time that I had a party and you volunteered to be uh, the bartender and we stole from my parents one fancy bottle of liquor and then went and bought a bunch of cheap liquor and you wore a tuxedo and poured like the cheap liquor into the fancy liquor bottles. So it seemed like we were having a high class party um, just for like a little suburban pregame. So that's experience. That's bartender experience that one evening in, in uh, you know, Greenwood Village, Colorado. It's good preparation for your career that you had in, in politics of right? shooting people, of, of bullshitting people and gussying up the, you know, the fat stuff to make it look like the good stuff. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, let's get a couple disclaimers out of the way. So, Tim Miller, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Tim Miller is. He's the uh, New York Times bestselling author of Why We Did It, the travelogue on the Republican Road to Hell. Fortunately, I did not appear in that book except in the acknowledgments. I think that was a maybe you just were doing me a solid or you're welcome. Check, the check cashed, I guess. Yeah, uh, checks. You're welcome. It was just you know, this is a cancer. Let's be honest. True. <laughs> and, and then uh, and Tim and I worked together on the Jeb Bush campaign in 2016. Prior to that, we were combatants in a yeah. couple of different cycles and a couple of different uh, efforts in 2012 and in 2008. So Miller goes back a long ways. Uh, he was a national operative in communications, but also logged a lot of time in Iowa thanks to the caucuses. So we, you and I have got a lot of stories. We do. Sure. I yelled at you in a Brugger's bagel shop one time, screaming. That's yelling top of my yes, it, yell, screaming it was yeah well you know i got no, the ups and downs we've had ups and downs and you know uh that's life right that's the journey of life and that, that that's the good stuff yeah it is the good stuff and now i mean i think we want to 
take a little time on this podcast to just to sort of talk about not really the state of the Republican Party because you know it's like that's if you want to do that you can go to listen to Tim Miller appear on the Bulwark with Charlie Sykes, but you know we got a lot of stuff happening in this race right now. We got a lot of stuff happening around the world right now. That's you know we're we're seeing a ton of division in the Republican Party, which you know Tim, you're a a, a really good documenter of and we've also got a lot of stuff happening in the democratic party i see your twitter feed you got a little the little ganging up on you about maybe some israel stuff and rejecting to leave and all that i mean uh, so let's let's get into some of that what's it like now as a content man you, you used to be out there just you know flacking for candidates dropping oppo on people you didn't like and all of that mm. what's it like now you're kind of a political participant you are right there in the middle of things you're on msnbc all the time you're you're you are diagnosing not only the republican race but you're also i think a pretty respected voice now more on the left uh, center left uh so talk to us about what's going on in our political moment now yeah boy being out in the content battlefields, it's uh, it's stuff out there. Uh, um, you know, the strange new respect stuff from the left is um, definitely is weird. You know, I think that there is something to, you know, I, I understand why, you know, our politicians, uh, maybe not in every single case, uh, maybe not in the cases of the people that have no shame, uh, but have, you know, sort of almost receded. Which is kind of weird in the social media age, and, and and why there is like a desire to have to to want to be safe and to say safe things that that resonate with the loudest voices on your side, uh, because the feedback is like real and intense, and you know you've got to be made of pretty pretty stern stuff. And I think there are a lot of politicians, you, you guys, we all have worked for people who like claim that they're tough guys and like like to act tough and have a tough veneer, but don't really like to be criticized. You know, a lot of people don't people being criticized isn't fun. Um, and so I, I have gained an appreciation for why, you know, cable TV hosts become divas and why politicians become cautious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it is, it is. I, look, it's not, it's not being on the front lines of Gaza. It's not real work. You know, it's not having to, you know, come home and having your back be, you know, uh, be in pain because you're out there on the construction site all day. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, it, that the, you know, human emotional response to being having your face ripped off, you know, by random strangers on the internet all day does not, you know, have an impact on people and does not yield the toll. But, uh, you know, I, like, I don't mind that, um, element of the, um, criticism for the left. I don't, um, I don't, I don't really abide by like these deep concerns about cancel culture. And like, this is like this problem that, oh, uh, if I say something, I'm going to get criticized. Like, I'm doing just fine. Uh, they tried to cancel me once. Um, I still am on TV. <laughs> like, I don't know. It feels like all the people that, that claim that they've gotten canceled have gotten more famous since they got canceled. So um, that element I, I don't really worry as much about, but I do worry about how it has an impact on on people in the public space and politicians in particular speaking their mind away from what the mob wants, you know? And I do, I think you saw this on the left. I, I often criticize this on the right, but I think a very clear way you saw this on the left was in the initial response after Gaza. Now, I think that the left's response, and by the left right now, I'm speaking about politicians, has been pretty good decently. I mean, mm -hmm. especially given that a lot of their activists, you know, want them to say bad things. You know, you do see a lot of Democrats out there being like, no, what's happening on college campuses is bad, et cetera. But there was a little bit of a caution, you know, like Gretchen Whitmer, for example, gets a lot of praise for her political skill. Her first statement after 10-7 was like very weak. 
and, and you mm -hmm. could tell that she was unsure, right? That like you could just as somebody who's helped write a statement, you know, you can tell when the thought well, doesn't exactly know what to say. You kind of want to you want to be safe. You want to say nothing because you're worried. You don't want you know the the far left activists blowing up your feed and yelling at you, and so you try to be cautious, and so then you don't kind of say the right and true thing, right? Which which was that you know Israel is a victim of a terrorist attack. You need to stand with them. So. That's the part that does worry me. Um, at your, you do see this caution on the left. Um, I think on the right, you've seen uh, caution would be the nicest word you could say about it, like a total submission to the MAGA mob voter um, and, and not being willing to say anything that doesn't make them happy. And, and I do think, while, while Twitter isn't real life, I do think that, that people reading their own Twitter mentions is, is one ingredient of the reason why, why we're seeing that caution. Talk about the what happened with Talib. I mean, explain what happened, and then I mean, your following has got to be very anti-Trump driven, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Um, and uh, so was it? Do you think you just had followers that all of a sudden were disoriented? Um, yeah, I don't. Um, you know, it's funny. I, my favorite, my favorite replies are always like. Um, you know, from the left when I when I criticize somebody on the left like to leave. And in this case it wasn't that I, I I don't know, it wasn't exactly my best zingers, guys. I mean, you know, I've got a pretty good repertoire <laughs> out there. I you know, I think I said that she should be primaried and I stand by that. And um uh and I think I might have called her Hamas curious or something to that effect. Uh, you know, so okay. Um uh not, you know, I guess that wasn't soft stuff, but I uh, you know, I've said worse about people. Um and, uh, you know, I, like one of the things I get from replies, like Tim, um, you're usually so nuanced and thoughtful in your criticisms. <laughs> I'm like, really? Are you, do you follow this? Are you, is that true? Are, are you though? I, I'm a, I have a lot of traits. I don't think so. I think that, yeah, I think that people, again, just like politicians don't like to get criticized. People don't like the politicians. They like to get criticized if they're very excited about something. Right. And so they, they see my like withering rebukes of Trump and they're like, well, that's deserved. Right. And yeah. then a not even quite as withering rebuke of somebody they're like, they like, and they're thinking, oh, wow, this may, maybe this guy's going too far and getting too aggressive. Right. Because it's, it's hitting close to home. So I, I think that there's a little bit of that. I mean, I, you know, you don't want to overreact to what, again, um, guys, we're not going to get out our followers schlongs here, but I've got a lot of followers now, right? So, okay. Got a lot of followers. So, if, if 200 people of 100,000 are like, Tim, what happened to you? Like, that's, again, that kind of goes back to, I think, these bad incentives for politicians. Like, that feels like a lot, right? But then I have to remind myself, it's like, that's actually not that much, right? I mean, there's a yeah. certain loud right. segment of people that, um, you know, don't want their side ever criticized. And, and that's, and, yeah. That's part of being a little bit of a heterodox, like you are. You know, right. I mean, you're you, you're everybody expects you to be a down the line liberal, which you're not. You still occasionally hear some of your content where you, uh, you know, you show the old, uh, the old, you know, red hat once yeah. in a while. Um, I was on with DC HealthLink right before we talked, guys, and I got to tell you, I have some concerns about the healthcare bureaucracy in this country. I don't think it's running. I don't think it's running on all cylinders. I just want to say, well, you should have sent out a nice little Obamacare missive on your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or right here. Yeah. So once in a while, you step outside the algorithm, right? Everybody mm -hmm. likes to sort of stay in their little warm, safe algorithm where yeah. nothing ever is said to them that might offend their tender sensibilities and. Uh, yeah, this is what, one of the reasons why we do, we do this podcast is, you know, 
we talked to bartenders who actually talked to real people and none of them follow this stuff at even 1% of the level that people like us do. And, you know, it's like, so we're trying to unearth, you know, nuggets of wisdom from people who, you know, just, this isn't their top concern. Their top concern is what's the price of gas and how much yeah. my eggs cost this week. And, you know, can I get a mortgage? Cause the mortgage rates are going up and it's like, it's really, it's interesting how, you know, politics matters and all of that stuff. But, uh, at the same time, it's like, this isn't top of mind for everybody. And yet you're right there in the middle of all these fights. People have heterodox views. Like this is what I, I'm like, I hope that I use it to my advantage sometimes as big commentators that I can speak what like a lot of regular people think. I, you guys hear this in the merchant. If you just look at the polls, you know, I'm doing the data. I'm, I'm watching Sarah's focus groups, but, uh, you know, and I just, in Louisiana, I try to do my little focus groups and talk to people. People have heterodox views. People are confused. If you look at the polls about Israel, you know, it's not like, it's 50% of the country, you know, wants Hamas apologia and 50% of the country wants Gaza wiped off the map. Like, that's not how it is. Like, like big mm -hmm. portions of the country, like, want us to send humanitarian aid to Gaza and and want Israel to defend themselves, but aren't sure how much military they should do. Right? Like, I, I, that's like a huge portion of the country doesn't fit. I always say this about abortion. My abortion position is represented by basically nobody else on cable news, but a majority of the country. <laughs> Right. Like, like they, there's a series of issues right? where it's like, yeah, I actually don't. I think that there should be some reasonable restrictions on abortion. I, you know, uh, I also don't think that somebody, you know, that is six weeks pregnant that got raped, like should be forced to carry their child to term. Right. I, I, the, like that is not that is a very common view, I would imagine, that the bartender would find. I'm not sure that the bartender is discussing, you know, the weak exceptions from abortion. But if you force them to, if you caught if you caught somebody that had one too many pops and was really hot on this like i would think that that would be kind of the common view but but people get a little bit concerned about expressing that if they don't feel like you know the people in whatever tribe or community they're in are going to you know agree with everything they say so they just don't just don't talk about it let let's talk a little bit about tradecraft because really so yeah. the idea for this podcast uh, was well primarily for Kochel and i have a good time together but and if someone listens god bless you and thank you for doing so, but it was, you know, the idea I was a couple, and I got to say, the bartenders tend to be better than the hosts in the five well, one metal point. One piece of feedback. Us afloat. <laughs> the, but the the idea was, well, this is kind of a tradecraft, you know, shtick takeoff on, you know, you show up in town, you want to know what's going on, you talk to the taxi driver, and you go chat up the bartender. So back in your days as an operative, or even now as really a journalist, what are your, what's some of your tradecraft on how to drop it into somewhere start picking up on what's going on boy um oh am i uh, it's totally different if i'm at a political event versus if i'm at a non-political event but okay. um yeah so i get a political event like really um i you know so now doing the circus and stuff we try to do man on the street things and this is not we're not doing you know this is not qualitative data or you know it's certainly not quantitative it's not qualitative it's like we're just trying to find interesting people to talk you know that are willing to open up and so like that's kind of where i i go is i immediately just kind of ask people why they're here and what they're excited about because i find that the most interesting and to me that's been the, the the very first question i ask people has been the most telling answers about the changes among republican voters is it like not everybody right you can't paint with a broad brush but the things that people volunteer about why they're at these events, what they're animated about is very kind of different than in my glory days with Kochel and the Brugers in 2008, right? They're seven, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. 
they're mentioning vaccines. They're mentioning uh, uh, immigration. Is kind of, I guess kind of the same, um, but obviously woke stuff. You know, campuses, right? I, you know, the types of animating issues. It is not the three-legged stool. You know, it's not like tax cuts, abortion, and a strong military. Like that's not what people are saying. And uh, you know, some, some, you know, you get some different events are different, right? But particularly if you're at like the Carrie Lake events or the Vivek, or you know what I mean, it's a little bit of a different crowd than maybe going to Cottrell scale Ashley Henson's event. Like people are a little bit more sane. So I like to just do that and just kind of like get them talking. And then try to find something they're passionate about and then like roll from there. Um, you know, sometimes I create a little bit of trouble. Like at the Ashley Henson event, I went and found the Trumpiest people I could see because I figured that they would, they, 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 might, they might have some interesting takes. That, that, that is very much not, that's called nut picking. That's very much not qualitative data. Uh, but uh, that for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm good at nut picking. Um, but at not, look, I really enjoy, I, I like my, I, a part of my move to Louisiana is like I don't like talking about politics all the time. Um, and so that's nice to be around regular people and just talk about the tigers and, and, you know, whatever. Um, uh, people's, you know, kids, normal stuff. But I do like to use the tailgates as just like little mini focus groups and just mm -hmm. kind of, and, and again, like my thing in that is just kind of, like, hey, I'll just soft start talking about it. And if people aren't interested, then I'll move on. But, you know, you'll get people and you'll be kind of surprised. And sometimes whether people are interested to talk about politics is telling. You know, like I remember one of my early signs from the tailgates was Kavanaugh. When it was like a lot of dudes who usually don't want to talk to me about politics, you know, when I kind of give that opening question, they were like mad. They're like, man, this guy's getting railroaded. I used to, you, you know, hey, you know they, they'd be looking over there here. What, let's see if their wife was looking. They're like, oh, some of this stuff sounds like, I don't know, pretty normal college guy behavior. You know what I mean? And I and I, I felt like, oh, okay, like this is resonating like outside, like out, you know, with people that do, or do not listen to, to highball politics podcasts. Yeah. Well, you're, you got the SEC cap on there. Let's go, Brandon, at these. You do, you do get some. Let, you do. I mean, you do get some. Let's go, Brandon, for sure. Um, I got to tell you, the most intense political experience I've ever had was not at any of our campaigns, but it was at that LSU Clemson national championship when Trump came out. And man, I thought that there was going to be like a race war in our section. I mean, it was like we were sitting next to the players' parents, and then next to us was kind of rich-ish Clemson and LSU kind of types. Country I was with, yeah, I was with my my crew, which was very not Trump friendly. So Trump comes out there and like, you know, my people start like, boo. Oh, I might have booed. Oh, no, no, no promises. I don't remember. I'd had a few pops. Boo, boo, boo. And then like the let's go Brandon guys start screaming at us. And then like the LSU player parents are like, were you fucking crazy white people <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> like I do not want to get into a fight over this right now it was like it was a very it was a very dynamic situation um so yeah you get that um but um it's like anywhere else man I mean New Orleans went 84 percent for Joe Biden Orleans perished it um yeah. so you have the same you know kind of polar you know urban urban uh polarization here as any i guess i just say the suburbs uh, and then in the new orleans suburbs you see a few more trump flags than you did in the oakland and denver suburbs i guess <laughs> so maybe a little different in the suburb crowd but besides that pretty similar i read your account of the louisiana state republican convention and that was um yeah that was uh, eye-opening crazy yeah it's something the degree of how trumpy it is you know is was eye-opening in a scary way and just like you know, um, 
people really identify, I think, in these red state state parties as like part of it, as like Trump is the party and the party is Trump, right? I, I think that yeah. there are in different places in the country, there are different Republicans that have different associations with this. I Murphini does the polling about this. Like, do, are you more with Trump or more with the party? That's like really merged, I think, in the red states. And I, I just, like, it, yeah. it was a couple months ago, it was, you know, I know Cotchell's still bullish on, on Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley Mentum, but it was, you know, back when, when, you know, even non irrationally optimistic people like David had hopes that maybe there was some light there. And it was like, I couldn't find a person at this thing that wasn't for Trump. Yeah. Like I just, I, I couldn't, I, like everybody, you know, you'd get some people would be like, well, you know, we're a Trump party, but me, I also like Haley or something. You might get that. Or I also like Vivek or whatever, depending on how crazy the person yeah. was I was talking to. But that like there. cultishness definitely felt like a category difference from what you would see at like the Ashley Henson thing. So, so let me ask you guys something because I, I, I was talking to some reporters recently about this because yeah. it's right. It's Trump, not the party. I've never seen research that talks to people that were Republicans in 2016 and ask where they're at today on Trump. My theory is there's been a lot of migration. A lot of people have, have left the party. And so you're really talking about what, it, what, what, so in the press drives this narrative of how in the bag the Republican Party is for Trump, it's because Trump's remade the party. Uh, right. But to, to what degree, we, we, I don't know if we really know. So one the question, have either one of you ever seen any type of research on that to show what the migration we think really has been? But then also because of that migration, a, a topic that's popular for you guys at the Bulwark, Tim, is, you know, the, the idea of leaning into these new red, red dog Democrats to kind of reshape uh, the ma a majority in the Democrat Party. So talk to us about that as well. Yeah, I mean, the research, the number I always use, and uh, they're, you know, super poll experts will like really poo-poo exit polls, I think for good reason. And, and but I think you can see directionally this. And so I don't, I, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for this. So I, I used to know these numbers off the top of my head when I was doing the book, but I forgot. But, you know, the percentage of people that, that were Romney and then and then did not vote for Trump one of the other two times, right? So you can look at in sixteen, right? What was your what was your Romney Clinton or Romney Johnson number? And then famously, if you're Obama Trump people, right? Like what is the percentage of that? And it was pretty it is pretty significant. You know, I, I don't like off the top of my head, I forget if it was high single digits or low double digits. But and then you do it again, right? Like then you add on top of that, okay, who are people that or Romney Trump nothing or Romney Johnson Biden, right? Like so you can kind of follow that trajectory through. And it is, you know, a significant percentage of of the turnover. And I think that it made a big difference. We did this data in 2020, um, back when I was still kind of dabbling in politics and not just in doing the media stuff. We had a group called Center Action Now. I was doing with some of the board people and some others where we were trying to get those people to vote in the Democratic primary. And 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 we weren't encouraging them who to vote for. We were just figuring that, like, if, um, you know, they voted for Romney, then they weren't going to vote for Bernie. You know, <laughs> and it was basically just kind of like not really a stop Bernie ever, but it was like, hopefully we can help remake the nature of this the party. And what we were able to see was and, and part of this was due to our work, but part of this just was the net these natural movements is that if you look at like the turnout numbers between Obama, Clinton and um, and then that 20 um, that next competitive primary or, or Clinton O'Malley in the next competitive primary, you see in all of these places where there are Romney Biden voters, like huge jumps, right? Like Dallas suburbs, 
DC burbs, Richmond, uh, right? The Atlanta burbs, right? Like you just, you just look at the precinct down and you're like, wow, a lot more people in these like upper middle-class white security mom neighborhoods, like voted in the democratic primary. And so I, I do think that that is happening. And, and I think that it's something that a lot of pundits miss because they just, you know, uh, people have pundit brain and, and people have DC brain where, where, where they're uh, obsessed with these two institutions, like being the same as they were in their mind's eye from 30 years ago. And I just don't think voters are like that. Like if you are, my North Star is always my buddy's wife. She grew up in Georgia, voted Republican her whole life. Parents are Republican. Parents are still Trumpers. Moved to Denver. I thought Trump was gross. Voted for voted for Hillary. Like is not voting for Republicans again. I, you know, maybe in some hypothetical world, if she was in Rashida Tlaib's district, she'd vote for the Republican, right? I, you know, the, like what, what about Cory Gardner? Did she vote yeah. for Cory Gardner? Um, uh, perhaps, yeah, yeah. I think we can ask. She probably voted for Cory Gardner. Right? Wasn't that fourteen? Or was it? Oh, you mean in tw- you mean no after yeah, twenty? After no? Okay, no. After you like, forget no. about it. You could be no. a normie and still no. Yeah. yeah, it's like, no, and, but then there's some people that are slower than her in the process, right? But she would have been 14, but then not in 20. And I think that that slow migration continues to happen. And for people that just are not obsessed with this stuff, like that's natural. It's just like being a Republican wasn't that big of a part of her identity. It was like, it kind of was. She was a Republican, but she's a mom and she's a Georgia fan and she's, a, you know, Catholic. She has all these other things, right, about her life, a husband or a wife, excuse me. And, and so it's like, Okay, these people have gotten crazy. I'm gonna vote for the other guys, and then if the other guys go crazy, she'll go, she'll be back. Like uh, you know what I mean? If that if that yeah. kind of fantasy left, a lot of people want to project happen. So I do think that change happened, and I think obviously that change happened on the opposite end of the spectrum for like working class white dudes, union guys, mm-hmm. you know, who who used to vote Democrat. So like I, that change is is re- is real, and I think that that is is have, gonna have a permanent impact, even if Trump just has a heart attack, God willing. Um, I, I don't think that part is going to change. Like the people that have now been voting for Democrats since 2016 are not just like magically going to come back. Like it's going to take time and work. I always get a kick out of your guys' people. You know, like I get people who are like, I'm still a hardline Republican. And and I'm like, in 2027, you won't have voted for a Republican for president 15 years. <laughs> and you're like, I'm still committed. You know, I like think about the National Review guys. I'm still committed. I'm still a hard partisan, and you're the crazy one. And like, my party's really great. And it's like you 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 haven't been able to vote for a Republican for a decade and a half. Like, there's good people. There's been a gestation period. They've they've been bar children have been bar mitzvahed. You know, like their whole life has happened. Tim, I I did my first campaign in 1984. Some habits are just hard to hard break. Die. I get it. Well, to, you know, but to your point, though, Tim, I'm getting close to where, uh, right, so this is Trump's the nominee, I will write in someone for the third time, or depending what's going on in the world, I actually might might vote for a, the Democrat nominee, but uh, we'll, we'll take that <laughs> California vote, we'll take wait, wait, really good, I know, it's good. Like, like my vote counts, I know, but uh, but but that's another interesting dynamic about as the world goes to war, is we'll be, I mean, the the non-isolationists are are the democrats and i think uh, that this change is real and this fight now we're seeing in the democratic party just really quick yeah. but i do think this is real this is real and i and i think and um you know when going back to my tradecraft my first question uh, people are not republican voters are not keen on the on on foreign conflicts right now and even the israel thing uh, people are really for it like right now in the short term where there's a clear clear foe 
but I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm skeptical that that, that they'll be that yeah. way in a year. You know. No, they're, they're going to be different big time inside the Republican be. Party for sure. The, yeah. the evangelicals, you know, because it's because it's it's doctrine, you know, that that uh, there has to be an Israel, right? Yeah, and that's, sure. That is an article of their faith. Uh, but you're right. There is a, um, you know, non-interventionist thing bubbling up that obviously the Ukraine stuff is tipping the other direction. And, and that'll get to Israel eventually. But there will always be there will always be sort of that initial support for Israel because of the evangelical yeah. base. That just, it's, it's I don't know how that. Yeah, I don't know how that realignment shakes out, actually. It's going to be very strange. Like we're going through a period where the military leadership is going to be mostly Democrat aligned, I think. Because right. They just feel like. They'd rather deal with Tony Blinken than whoever the fuck Donald Trump is going to put in there, you know, and Lloyd Austin, right? Like, and, and, and but the rank and file is pretty MAGA. And yeah. like the Democratic, there still is. It's, I do not want to understate the fact that like there still is a very significant non interventionist side of the Democratic left. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's a, that, that, this is going to be a messy reorg. But I think that, that, what, that, that messy, realignment is going to happen like my main message is like i think there's a lot of people that are still in the world that's like okay then donald trump's gonna go away and eventually things will revert to the 80s where the republicans will be the more interventionists and the democrats will be the non-interventionists and i don't i don't exactly know how it's going to shake out but i know that's not where we're that's not well the well the opportunities there for the democrats yeah um, i mean i think this is all part of how they could become a a sustainable majority party Uh, yeah i I, I, do that many people care about it that's the question. Do that many people care about it? I just, well, oh, yeah. I, I said the, enough. The problem with these issues, they don't care until until you have to care. And right. you know, are we approaching the have to care phase of Maybe. where we're at right now with if, world? If, if China goes into Taiwan, a lot of people are going to care. Yeah, I mean, it does, you know, a lot of sure. people are going to care because it's going to be a big, big, big deal. For sure. All right. Now, w is... order to be made to care. Did you watch the W video about Israel? It's the leaked W video from some conference where he was just like, he just like. I'm pretty hardcore on this stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, poor <laughs> I miss W. But I like that. W is my new chart. Like, like, if you're W, it's like, I, you know, yeah. I, you don't feel, I don't think you feel naturally fitting in either situation, right? But yeah, just looking right. at this from a foreign policy standpoint, if foreign policy comes to the fore, guys like him, like, can think of W the man, the voter, not not the former president, like, are going to feel more aligned with Biden or Biden. Yes, yeah. about it, I think. Yeah. For now. Hey, okay, so this has gotten heavy. It's time for a drink. What do yeah, you okay. <laughs> do it. Cheers. So oh, I'm a man of those people. Yeah, you know our tradition. So what's your uh what's your signature I'm cocktail? a man of the pe- I'm a man of the people. So I've brought two I've brought two signature cocktails that are pretty basic. You guys I've been noticing you do some of the fancy cocktails on here. Well if it, well cocktail likes it only if it's sweet, of course. No, that's not true. I have fancy steaks. Well, we'll start with a sweet one from Kacho. I've got Got two names. Oh no, no, the second one I have two names for. This one I have one name for, and I'm calling it Mike Johnson's Dinosaur Voodoo. I don't know if you've uh, <laughs> if you've seen our new speaker. Uh, oh yeah, we're up to our speed. New speaker uh, believes that that there were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. So dinosaurs uh-huh. did not just live at the same time as people, but as other animals, birds, dogs, cats, all living together on the Ark with Noah and Velociraptors. They were the nice kinds of Velociraptors. Don't worry, kids. He wants to make sure kids can learn about this. It's important that parents' rights and curriculum. We do not want the gay parents making sure kids can read about gay penguins. They need to read that the <laughs> penguins and the dinosaurs were together. 
And this if you drink the Pixar movie, I mean, if you, yeah, agreed. Awesome. If you if, if you drink <laughs> this dinosaur voodoo, you might also start to think the dinosaurs are on Noah's Ark. Are you ready? Okay, it is. <laughs> yes. uh, it's inspired by the voodoo drink at here in uh, New Orleans at Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop, which I highly recommend. Uh, two ounces bourbon, one ounce Everclear, four oh, ounces, God. four ounces grape juice, one cup crushed ice. Throw that baby in the blender, and woo boy, that's just a nice, refreshing. Frozen cocktail for you guys. Blended so, bourbon with Everclear. With Everclear. Cover it up. Just, it becomes a purple slushy oh, type drink that, uh, boy, if you're looking to have a good night in New Orleans, you just going down to the voodoo. I, I, the, the actual Lafitte's voodoo recipe is uh, is proprietary, naturally. Um, so this is uh, this is my version, um, but uh, I would I would recommend that. Mike Jonathan's Dinosaur Voodoo. Adding Everclear to bourbon oh. might actually get you to believe that those dinosaurs are <laughs> on the ark. We, vodka, vodka, one ounce of vodka is also an, uh, is you know if, if, for the weak hearted. If, 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 if you're feeling like if you're feeling like it in you know age redacted, you can't do Everclear anymore. We can do vodka and have the same experience. Or a white rum. Might can feel the hangover already. Oh yeah, it's a hangover drink. Okay, are we doing my other one or do we do? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we got it. I could yeah. I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide what to name this one, so I'm going to give people two options. One, it's uh, uh, it's the elderly pickle, which which uh, was going to. Oh, this is definitely to... a cocktail drink. Yeah, well, this <laughs> is going to be an ode to uh, the pickle Democrats find themselves in with their elderly candidate. Though I just I couldn't resist the pun. I also do like pickle down economics. <laughs> So anyway, uh, people can people can take or leave which one of those they want. But that's two ounces Tito, um, one ounce sweet vermouth, then a half ounce of pickle juice um, with an olive. That's nice. Ah, that's I a nice cocktail. That's a nice served party. up. That yeah, sounds great. Served actually. up like a martini. Uh, we were making those during uh, COVID. That was a popular COVID drink in our family because it was easy. A lot, I guess more than fancy, what I mentioned about your co- the cocktails here is a lot of times they require a lot of prep. And, yes. you know, I've got you, you guys are empty nesters, right? I got a five year old. So if you're telling me I got to slice the orange and slice the lime and, and, and light it on it, fire, yeah, fire, all that yeah. takes a lot of work. Yeah. Pickle, yeah. pickle, uh, the pickle down economics or the elderly pickle, you know, three ingredients, boom, you know, m- you know, shake it up. All good. By the way, I'll, I'll have to send you a bottle. There is a distillery here in Sacramento, Midtown Spirits, that does a pickle vodka, a pickle-infused vodka, good. which is a base for my Bloody Marys, by the way. I also- kind of, I, I'll be interested in trying that. Uh, there's something about the brininess of having the actual pickle juice that's uh-huh. really nice, you know, uh-huh. versus, like, the pickle flavor. Um, you know, there's just something... It's, I guess it's what people are looking for in the dirty martini, but it's even like dirtier and brinier, you know? Um, so I enjoy a little little pickle cocktail. I also, a big problem I have is that it's all the, uh, uh, um, do you pronounce it Amaro? I'm not about to pronounce it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Amaro? Yeah. Amaro. All those Amaro, ba- you know, cocktails are so popular now. And, um, and th- that puts a lot of limits on my drinking as well because I went to a wedding in Lake Comel a couple of years ago, and I j- and I- every drink had Campari or what or something like that in it, and I and it was you take a boat out onto Lake Como to the wedding, and then a boat back, and I let let me let you know I left some of my guts in Lake Como that night, and I and going back to 
all Campari related drinks is very challenging for so, me. So you're saying the, the the beaches on Lake Como were closed the next day? Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that, uh, that also has been limiting as I kind of look at the trendy cocktails these days. Hey, Tim, we haven't talked 2024 primary yet. We've got to get a couple minutes in on this. So uh, we had an Iowa poll out on Monday morning, the great Ann Selzer, the gold standard, uh, yada, yada. Trump, 43, up a point. Uh, you had Haley up 10 points to 16, tied with Ron DeSantis, also at 16, who lost a little altitude. Any of that matter at all? And then we got a South Carolina poll today, Haley at 22, DeSantis, I think, low teens. Tim Scott down around six. Uh, Trump, obviously, 53. Like, is there, do we just take the Trump half of the party just off the table and just run this primary on the other side and then maybe we get one candidate or what? What's going on? Yeah, old Mac Murphy's was is feeling the Haley momentum coming off this. You wrote a nice piece for the Bulwark about it. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I don't. I just don't think it. Uh, so here's the fun. The fundamental problem throughout the whole time, in my opinion, is once you just strip away all of the horse race stuff and all the BS and what all of our wants was like the middle of the party likes Trump. Was maybe open was is maybe the right word. I, I'll I'll just to be nice to Kachel. I'll say is. Um, for the time being, maybe open to another person that can give them enough of the MAGA goodness that they like, but, you know, offer some kind of fresh start, you know, that, that doesn't have whatever the things are they don't like about Trump. And that's different for different people. And, and that, if you just look at the numbers, like that's the middle of the party, right? Like there is the MAGA cult core. There is the, whatever you want to call it, 20, 25%. People that don't really like him and are happy to move on, maybe that's even thirty percent. And and yeah. you know, if we're feeling happy, um, but the big middle, the thirty percent isn't enough. The big middle like him, and so that is where the Desantis, the particulars of the Desantis strategy were totally wrong. But that is where the logic of it was that like he had to try to appeal to MAGA world was right, right? Like the logic of that was right only in the sense that like the only way to get a plurality is to get some of those people. And, and I just like, I don't think Nikki can get any of those people. Um, I think that, that fundamentally the group of person that like likes Trump still and likes the change and maybe even a better way to put it is likes the way the party has changed under Trump is, is maybe a more precise way to put it. That person is not going to be for Nikki Haley. And I, and I just think that is about two thirds of the party. Right. And so how do you get, how do you get above that? 66, 33. Um, and, and so I just think that, and that's the fundamental problem. And when you see that in this, in the Seltzer poll, which I thought the key number was the DeSantis second choice vote was, was like 40, 30, it was like 40 Trump, 30 Haley. I'm going off from memory, but so give or take. Yeah. So that's like, right. So, okay. Uh, you know, uh, so what do you do from, what do you do from there? Um, uh, and, and so that's why I think that it fundamentally doesn't matter unless, you know, yeah, something outside jail. If Trump True. is an incumbent, the fact that he's under 50% in Iowa and New Hampshire is a you know, traditional indicator of inherent weakness. But you're right. It was that follow up question of all those DeSantis voters really immediately snap right back to Trump, right? Which is probably what you're seeing there in those South Carolina epidemics. Yeah. And in South Carolina, you got Nick, like Tim Scott at seven. What does he do? Like, what well, is that? Yeah, time to tap. That, that's where I'd like to turn the turn the camera on, over and be the interviewer here and ask you guys 
why Tim Scott. <laughs> I really, yeah, I really want to understand why he's still doing, why he's still in this race, why he like has a fake girlfriend in Canada. Like I, I don't understand the whole thing. I don't understand. It's very, that's very much a South Park theme, by the way, to have a fake girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Scott's Super PAC, what rolled up, uh, went home what two or yeah. three weeks ago. So yeah, it I sounds think, like the the big donor think, he. Was, Counting on kind of ghosted. Yeah, Larry Allison said money met him quite materialized. <laughs> yeah. I, I look well, I was I'm assuming Scott drops out after the next debate. I mean I don't think he I don't think he stays on. And is there even gonna be a next debate? Like why like why are we debating still? There there is Wednesday night. It's must see TV, Tim. Yeah, it's a weird about... thing. Isn't this so weird? Don't you guys, me and Kotchel, when we were on, so uh, Kotchel made a star appearance on the circus on Showtime. If your viewers, your listeners haven't seen that. But that was like the main, the funny exchange. So we had from it, though. I like, I still don't have a good answer to it, which is like, this is so weird. This is so but, weird. Well, but here's, here's my why, and it's like, well, yeah, like, but here's why I think they matter. Here's why I think they matter. Because you still have, as much as we just defined that two thirds is going to be fine with Trump, there's a third that aren't. Right. And yeah. they, they, so they have to figure some things out, right? They have to find someone to coalesce around for the future, or they have to decide whether to stay. Which is, you know, the, the discussion we were having earlier. So I still think there are a substantial amount of people that these debates do matter to. There, there's not huge audiences, but they're the audience. Your bartenders they're talking to have they been have, they, have people been coming into the bars asking them to turn on the the JV debate? <laughs> no, they are not. They have all words Hey, could you flip off the Iowa State volleyball match and on ESPN, the ESPN turn it yeah. up, turn it over to the debate, please? <laughs> no, thanks. No, I know there's the one lady in the corner watching the volleyball match. Sorry. Okay, okay so real quick then on the Democrat side of this, because the, yeah. as of this week, there is a primary. Oh yeah, <laughs> your voice. <laughs> are you are you getting in on that? Hell no. 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 Schmidt's not no. <laughs> no. So so we have to explain to everyone what's going on. <laughs> Because actually, no one knows. No, this would be the great question for the bartenders this week: Is who is who, Dean Phillips? Who is Dean Phillips? This would be a fun. This would be a fun game. This is probably above the budget for this podcast. But if you guys both went to twenty bars tonight, and just the nearest to you walked in, said to the bartender, and like took hold up a picture of Steve Schmidt and Dean Phillips, and are like, "Can you can you name either of these people?" I bet you would find one person who could name Steve Schmidt. You get zero, Dean Phillips. <laughs> I think that's right. And that's, I'd throw Speaker Johnson in the in yeah, the yeah, yeah. array as well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dean Phillips, congressman from from Minnesota, is running against Biden in the primary. Steve Schmidt, former Republican, former Lincoln Project, used to be on TV. I don't think they let him on TV anymore. Is the consultant behind this? We know Democrat voters want someone else, but now would they have an option? So what do you guys think? This thing's a blip or is it a... And there's a New Hampshire dynamic. Maybe we don't have to go into it. Maybe we should, but does any of this just, matter? Yeah, we could get into it. So here's my top line on this. So in 2020, Rob does this. I, you know, Back before I went full media, I was trying to recruit a Trump primary. And I thought, and I was trying to pitch you. And, I, and I, there were two things that I thought. One was you had to be above a certain threshold of famousness to like be taken seriously enough by the media to make this worth it, right? And so you ended up getting Joe Walsh and whoever in there, and it didn't work. And and we were out there trying to recruit like Larry Hogan and Kinzinger and Liz, right? Like those people were big enough names. I, I don't think they would have won, obviously, in retrospect, but they could have at least create. You, you have to be above a threshold 
that this thing gets taken seriously. I'm not sure Dean Phillips is above that threshold. Right. You know, and, and number two, you have to represent a clear constituency. So there's a reason for this race, right? Like my pitch to Hogan and those guys was like, this gives you a base to start from for the next time, right? Like you'll have these supporters and you'll create, and maybe that ends up being a third party thing. Maybe the Republican party goes back to normal. We don't know, but like, let's try to create a movement. Like that's what Eugene McCarthy did. Like there's this whole Buchanan, there's all history of running for reason besides winning to like kind of galvanize a certain movement. I, I, and Dean Phillips is not doing that, right? Like, so he's not, he's, he doesn't have any rationale for his candidacy except for that Joe Biden is old. Joe Biden is old. I agree with that. And and that and like ideally, if if Josh Shapiro, if we could like go make Josh Shapiro the nominee, awesome. I, like I love you, Joe Biden. Uh, I think that you're great. You saved the country from Donald Trump. But I'm just gonna snap my fingers without even thinking about it. It would be better for the Democrats. It'd be better for the country to have somebody that has Joe Biden's basic worldview that is not 82 when he goes in for the next term. So okay, now what what do you do? Well. If somebody that fits one of those first two qualifications wants to get in, and 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 in the Democratic Party, I'd probably add a third thing, which is they probably shouldn't be a white guy, to, you know, or, or maybe let me put it this way: maybe they should be able to appeal to black voters. They should have some kind of rationale or appeal to black voters. How about we put it that way? Maybe they don't necessarily need to be black, but they need to have some rationale or demonstration. Well, that was Biden. Right. Yeah. Right. I, right. Biden demonstrated like from being Obama's VP from his career. Right. Like. Right. So. You know, Carv's, Carville's form of all this is you got to be able to go into the black church in South Carolina and, and come out of there with half the vote. And if you can't do that, you can't win a Democratic primary, like right now, mm-hmm. like the nature of this coalition. So if you add those three things, sure, I would be for it, right? If Raphael Warnock said he wanted to get in or if, you know, uh, whatever, Big Gretch, okay, like we could talk about that. Um, but that's not what this is. And so the thing that, and to me, this just reads just like a total grift. Uh, where where Steve's trying to get some money for his open concept kitchen, um, or he's just <laughs> delusional, like or he's just delusional, which is also possible, and like high on his own supply. Well, he, um, he's got TD, he's got TDS, like a lot yeah, of people do. Yeah, that. Well, he, he's like the we need to save everything. I, yeah, the rational thing is like I'm panicked that Trump's going to win, and we need to do something. And if the right. best we got is Dean Phillips, then okay, I, I guess I get that. The rationale for the candidacy is two thirds of the Democrats don't want Joe Biden to be the candidate. That's yeah. that's the rationale. The problem is. 78% of the country don't want a Trump Biden rematch, but we're headed for it. So, like, you know, it's like the that stuff doesn't matter. It's the, there's a whole bunch of other forces at work here that are bringing this, like, bringing us through this road to hell with these two candidates that nobody thinks should be the candidate. But, you know, what do we know? We've only been doing this for 100 years. This is why we have a. Are you not optimistic about drinking? Yeah. You're not optimistic about Dean Phillips's campaign, you two? I, I, you're not. You're I, not. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. Mr. Matt makes much money on it. I mean, well, he no, no. Dean Phillips is the uh, he is the brain, the brains behind Talenti Gelato. So he's uh, he's wealthy. I so. thought it was liquor. Ball, oh, isn't, I he, think. Is, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, I think that is. I think that his dad or his father-in-law, I forget which, or his stepdad, one of those three, um, was the liquor. And then he, using his own human ingenuity and and the resources from that largesse, um, went into the gelato business. Plus, too. Um, and, and, hey. Favorite food groups. Yeah, man, for sure. 100%. When you're facing, you know, multi, multi, wars on multiple fronts around the around the world, you're looking for a gelato man. 
you know, somebody can bring people to the table with yeah, yeah. Like have a cocktail. So maybe we have about the boozy shake. Yeah. yeah, we can get <laughs> Boss and BB all at the same table. We can have a boozy slushy together. And anyway, I don't know. Uh, it's not. Well, okay. I was hoping, I was thinking one of you would have a more more bullish Dean Phillips view. No, no. That's it. Uh, no. So so real quick. Then we're we're getting too in the weeds. We'll we'll bring this back out. But the new the New Hampshire thing is this right? Is that Biden's not on the ballot in New Hampshire? There's no delegates, but there's going to be an election. The de- the Biden campaign is like stupidly screwed up the whole calendar. So South Carolina's first, which has to do with other reasons we understand, but we don't need to go into explaining. So the point is, is that, you know, Phillips can ba- basically be the top Democrat vote getter in New Hampshire because Biden won't be on the ballot and that would have to write him in. Yeah. That'd be really embarrassing for Biden. Beyond that, yeah. you know. So what? Thank you. This, this sounds like the, that's okay. There's something there, but this to me sounds like the Christie rationale. It's like, okay, step one, you win New Hampshire against a write-in candidate. Step two, question mark. Step three, you're the nominee. Right. Oh, this it's was like, Giuliani's okay. strategy. <laughs> well, the Christie plan, the Christie plan was get on a debate stage with Donald Trump and body slam him. And then Donald Trump doesn't show up to the debates. And yeah. like, so what's he doing? Standing behind a podium, just coming up with Donald Duck lines. Well, I mean, mostly behind a podium. Mostly, yeah, <laughs> mostly behind a podium. <laughs> Around all right, I, all right. The Donald Duck thing was so bad. I just, I'm sorry. Whatever. Maybe one Chris Christie person listens to this podcast because that's the world. That's your target audience. So, hi Mike, I, I, I'm, I'm going to trigger. Hi Mike. <laughs> hi Brian. But like, the theory of the, ca- I, I just, I don't want him to leave this campaign with, oh, if Christie had just had his chance to go after Trump, he would have done it. Because I don't know, I'm not sure. I, when I watch that head-to-head with Vivek and the Donald Duck line, I think that Christie's bark might be a little bigger than his bite on the debate stage, okay? <laughs> so you took out little Marco, all right? Good for you, all right? You took out little Marco, that was good. But Donald Trump's a little bit of a bigger fish than that, and I don't know. His his performance to date leaves me a little skeptical that that, that was going to be a uh, roundhouse. And, and to, the, to this point, he tried to take out Vivek in the first debate, but it was mm-hmm. Nikki that cut yeah. the legs out from yeah. Vivek. So. Yeah. All right, we could go all day, guys. We could. But we're kind of hitting our, our respectable time limit before there's no one left listening except <laughs> us. Uh, Tim, where... Where can people find you? Tell us about. The I'm circus. everywhere, Rob. I'm and everywhere. Work, what else? True. I know. I'm everywhere. If you come to New Orleans, you can find me on Ferret Street. I uh, just kind of amble on down. You never know which one of those haunts I'll be in. Um, if uh, if you're on X, I'm still Xing. I'm Tim Oddy. If you're on Threads, I'm Threadsing. I'm Tim Milligram. If you're on YouTube, the Bullock has a YouTube feed. If you're on Snapchat, I have a show called About My Party. If you watch cable news, I'm on MSNBC. If you watch premium cable news, I'm on Showtime's The Circus. So no matter what platform that you are on, except for Stitch, Twitch, what is it? Where you play video games and talk? I haven't quite, I haven't, Twitch, Twitch. I've not gotten, I'm not, I am, I'm an elder, elder millennial. You're too old for Twitch. Yeah, I'm a little too old. I can do the Snapchat thing because I'm like a presenter, but I'm too old to like sit there and like play Goldeneye. I don't even know what the re- what to reference. I don't know what the kids play these days. I'm sitting there like playing a first person shooter game, talking about Vivek's po- like debate strategy. Like that's I can't I I don't get that. That's the thing well, that happens. I, There's I, there are people yeah. out there creating that content. Uh, that's not that's the one thing I'm not doing. We we commend you for your self awareness on. Guys, come on down. When are you gonna come visit? Hey, I'm for it. Make it down. Do it some. Hey, I, I do have to tell you. Doing. 
I have to tell you, the LSU home schedule next year is off the chain. And so you really should, like, I know next fall okay. is a, a, a presidential year. Maybe you can like get a little Louisiana mail business or get an excuse to come down here, hold a meeting down here. But we have Oklahoma in Tiger Stadium. UCLA okay. is in Tiger Stadium. Uh-huh. Alabama is in Tiger Stadium. And I'm forgetting one. There's another big game. I like that. There are four game. huge home games um, uh, next year. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's your time. All right, I like I think, it. Uh, oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll make that commitment. We could do that. It'll be, that. It'll and, be uh, and end up in Nolens. Yeah, yeah. We can do. We can do, do it. We, we can do. You guys got you guys got money. You're still in the game. You can hire us a driver. It's a one hour drive <laughs> from from that. We leave Tiger Stadium. You're at Lafitte's. Having Mike Johnson's Voodoo Dinosaur within like an hour and fifteen minutes of the game ending, you know, it's a it's a beautiful life. Well, we'll write it off because we'll go down and ask Lafitte's to become a sponsor of Highball, whether they are or not. But we'll make it business. Great, sounds good. <laughs> With that, Tim Miller, thank you for joining us on Highball Politics. We'll see you, pal. So, Cottrell, first week of November, we have our friend for illuminating discussion on many topics, Tim Miller. His takeaway is is that the Republican nomination is done. It's Trump. Do we agree? He makes some good points, and obviously he's been singing this song for a while, including when we were on the circus. But look, there's 70-some days left until the Iowa caucuses. These things always break late. There is obviously a very different dynamic with someone who loomed so large in all of this. He's at 60% nationally right now in those polls, which don't mean anything, truthfully. And, you know, but he's still in the low 40s in Iowa. Problem is that vote is divided up now. If you get some clarity coming out of there, maybe a couple people drop out going into New Hampshire, and it's really a two or three candidates kind of fighting for that second place. My theory all along has been if you go into South Carolina with a one-on-one race, somebody's just going to have to take it to Trump and try. And it's worth fighting for because there's a big chunk of the party doesn't want to go through Trump again and you know time's running short he hasn't lost any altitude in fact he's gained altitude but getting it to a one-on-one changes the dynamic and then the last thing I'll say is we don't know what's going to be happening in three months legally with this guy here's trial news all over the news today who knows what could happen there but races are very dynamic they are they are never fixed and, you know, once we start having contests, things will change. Now, maybe he just gets stronger, but these guys are all in it, spending money, working hard, traveling across Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and they're doing it for a reason. So we'll see, you know, if it shows up in the end and you get somebody one-on-one. Yeah, I think the data that's available suggests it's difficult for anyone else. But I agree with you. You got to let people vote. Numbers can move, and numbers move across primaries much more uh dramatically than they can move across general elections. If you do get into a head-to-head by South Carolina, and that person is the former governor of South Carolina, I think that's a, an optimized dynamic to potentially throw a roadblock in, into Trump. So yeah, I still think odds are high, but I'm not convinced at all yet that this cake is completely baked. Why they play the game. That's why we play this game, Cotchel. This was fun. Listeners, thanks for joining us. We know we've been off for a few weeks. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode. We will resume again, ideally next week, with another bartender somewhere across this glorious country. Until then, cheers, Cotchel. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Cotchel and me, Rob Stetsman. 
Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your picks of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.